My name is uh, Scott. I'm one of the pastors here. And if you have a Bible, go ahead and turn uh, to Mark chapter 10. We are in a series called Servant King, and we are working our way through uh, the gospel of Mark. And uh, Brian Chappell uh, was my preaching professor in seminary, and he tells the story of a, of a, a man several years ago that uh, was featured uh, in a news report. He had been blind for... Um, most of, most of his life, and uh, through the wonders of modern medicine, his sight was completely restored. And so they, they did a feature story on him, and the reporter asked him, you know, what is, you know, after his sight was restored, they, he asked him, well, what's your life like now? You know, what, what's, uh, you know, after all these years, what's, what's been the biggest joy? And uh, he said, well, you know, basically what you would expect. He said, just being able to see colors, uh, and then being able to see the faces of his family members and friends. And, um, and so the reporter pressed him a little bit and said, well, what's been the most unexpected thing uh, after regaining your sight? And, uh, and the man said something what, what I think is rather extraordinary. He, he didn't say, you know, get, being able to see, you know, the sunset on the beach or being able to see the beautiful colors of the Grand Canyon at sunrise or something like that. What he said was, he said, uh, the most unexpected thing, the most beautiful thing that he's seen is a leaf falling from a tree to the ground. And the man said, you know, I always imagined that the leaves would fall down like a blanket. But he said, that's not how they fall. They, he said, they pitch and they glide and they twist in the wind. And he said, it's the most beautiful thing that he has ever seen. And what's really ironic about that is he is observing something. He's seeing something, uh, something beautiful in death because the leaves are dying that's why they're falling off the tree and landing on the ground he was able he was able to observe beauty in death and that's really what I kind of want to talk about today that's really the story that we're going to be looking at today the story of Jesus and blind Bartimaeus and uh, this is what we're going to be looking at in John or in, in Mark chapter 10 verses 46 through 52 and kind of let me give it give you an opportunity to get the context for this uh, rumors have been spreading that Jesus was the Messiah all over Israel. So uh, Jesus had definitely gotten the attention uh, of, of the people of the country. And, and uh, so they had all of these expectations in what the Messiah could and should do. So their expectation is that Jesus is going to really come and change life. He, he's he's going to make things easier. He's going to make things a lot more comfortable. Uh, he's going to take away so many of the, the daily limitations that uh, people face to make life a lot easier. But what we know now, being able to look back on that and being able to read the scripture, is that's not really why he came. You know, Jesus came, you know, not to not to make life easy and comfortable for us, but he really came to die. And in his death, he brings something very beautiful to us. He brings new life in him. See, the reason why Jesus came is to take away our ordinary life and exchange it for something extraordinary. You see, Jesus came to put to death our old selves so that we might have new life in him. And to do this in such a way that our daily limitations are no longer liabilities, but they're really a means in which God is glorified. And that's what I want us to talk about today. So, so let's read the story. I'm going to ask if you're willing and able, would you stand together as we read this very interesting um, 
occurrence between Jesus and Bartimaeus. We'll begin at verse 46. And Mark tells us this, and they came to Jericho, and as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And when, he, when he'd heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, call him. And they called the blind man, saying to him, take heart, get up. He is calling you. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, what do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, go your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but not the word of God. It's, it lasts forever. You may be seated. So Jesus is heading towards Jerusalem. He knows it's just a matter of time before he's going to be arrested and crucified. So he is heading south uh, towards Jerusalem. He is uh, in the city of Jericho, getting ready to leave the city of Jericho. And uh, there's a great crowd following him, which is very, very common for Jesus and the disciples as they're moving through these different cities. There's a great crowd following him and he's getting ready to leave the city of Jericho. And uh, as they're getting ready to cross through the greats, there happens to be a great crowd gathered around the city of gates. And they're around in this crowd, around the city of gates, were a bunch of blind beggars on the side of the road. Now, this is certainly not anything uncommon. Uh, there were blind beggars at every single gate, at every single city in the Middle East at this time. And the reason why is because if you were blind in Jesus' day, church, it was, it was, it was a curse. I mean, it really was. It, 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 meant, it meant absolute poverty for you in your life. Because if you think about it, you know, today we have a lot of technological advances. We have a lot of, you know, resources, computers, technology, that kind of thing to help those who are visually impaired to, to lead a more normal life. But in Jesus' day, they had none of that. And so it was really an absolute, uh, it was an absolute curse. It, it, it meant a life of poverty. You, you couldn't read anything, obviously. You couldn't write anything. You couldn't do anything. And, and so your whole existence, your entire life, was basically begging people to give you something out of their generosity and out of their pity. In other words, blindness was a serious li liability and limitation if you lived in Jesus' day. Now, I think for most of us, we can really relate to Bartimaeus. I, I think we understand a little bit of his plight, not because of, you know, we're struggling physically with our vision, but, but because we understand our limitations. We're dealing with liabilities of our own. And the truth is we all have them. You have them, I have them, every single person has them. To live life in this world means you have to embrace some limitations. And so really limitations are just things that, that hold us back. They're things that confine us. They're things that restrict us. They're things that we allow to keep us from living the life that God wants us to live. And so those are the kind of things that, you know, that characterize limitations. They're, they're usually things that are beyond our control. And uh, they're just circumstances that really just, just kind of keep us from being who God wants us to be. So, so what kind of limitation are you dealing with today? 
You know, what kind of liability or adversity are you managing today? You know, what is it that's got you pinned down? And you're like, if I could just get rid of this thing, man, my life would be so much better. See, we all, we all have them. And uh, it could be for you, it could be a disability like Barnabas, blindness. It could be a disease, a chronic disease that you have to live with. Uh, it, have to, it, it could be something, disappointment with your children, with your grown children. It could be a life-dominating sin. It could be an addiction, something that absolutely just drains the life of God out of you and uh, keeps you from living the, the life that God wants you to live. It could be a broken dream. You want to get married. You want to have kids and have a family, but you can't do that. And you, you face it every single day. You could be stuck in an unloving marriage right now. It could be a dead-end job or just constant financial pressures, living paycheck to paycheck. It could be devastating anxiety. A lot of people are struggling with that. You know, for a lot of people, it's just guilt and shame of the past. You just carry it around like a boat anchor. And it just keeps you down. It keeps you pinned down. Here's the problem with so many of our limitations what they do is they sideline us on the side of the road and we're paralyzed. And what we realize is we're not going anywhere in our lives because of this thing or that thing. And that is exactly what we see in the life of Bartimaeus. That's why we can relate to it because we get it. We totally understand it. And that's where Jesus finds Bartimaeus right on the side of the road, pinned down, going absolutely nowhere. And he knows it. He knows it. Now, church, the good news of the gospel is this. We sang about it. Jesus came to set us free. That's why he died and rose to set us free from those things that confine us and restrict us and pin us down. Jesus came to put an end to your ordinary life and my ordinary life and to give us extraordinary life in him. He came to put to death our old self in the old way of life and to give us new life through the power of the Spirit so that our limitations are no longer liabilities in our life, but they're actually a means by which God is glorified. That's what we're going to see here today. You know, Helen Keller was the great philanthropist who was blind and deaf from birth. And somebody once asked her, she, you know, she was asked, isn't it, a, isn't it a great tragedy to be born blind? And uh, she made this famous reply. She said, it's a greater tragedy to have eyes and not be able to see. And I think that's what the gospel does. I think that's what God's grace does is it opens our eyes to see that God is bigger than our limitations. He's bigger than what pins us down. He's bigger than what restricts us. And he can be glorified in whatever limitation that we may be facing today. So this is what I wanna do. I, I wanna take just a few minutes today and, and give you five ways to leverage your limitations for the glory of God. Five ways that you can leverage those limitations for the glory of God, whatever they might be. So I want you to get, I want you to get whatever it is in your mind and I want you to think about that limitation in light of Bartimaeus today. So let's look at this. Number one, I think if we're gonna leverage a limitation, Number one, we need to first believe that God, that, that Jesus can change the situation. We need to believe that Jesus can change the situation. This is what I call the hope step. And this is where we put our hope in Jesus. Let me show you what I mean. This is verse 47. Mark says, when he heard, there are all these people sitting around. 
city gates of Jericho. Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. All these people are sitting around and Bartimaeus is there. And it says in verse 47, when, when he heard that, that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Now, what's fascinating to me about this passage is here's a man who can't see, but he can hear with great acuity. He heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth. And uh, what's, what's even more interesting is his response to him hearing that it was Jesus of Nazareth. What was his response? He called out to Jesus. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. So he, here's a man who has very limited vision, but his knowledge of Jesus is not limited. He recognizes Jesus. He knows who Jesus is. He is perceiving Jesus in a way that the other, the other people in the crowd can't even perceive him. You see, he calls him, he doesn't call him Jesus of Nazareth. When he calls out to Jesus, he says, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. So this tells me that Bartimaeus knew the scriptures. This tells me that Bartimaeus knew that this was a prophecy that the Messiah would be from the line of David. And so Bartimaeus calls Jesus for who he is. He recognizes Jesus to be a fulfillment of a promise. Bartimaeus knew he was the promised one. And so that's where his hope is focusing in the promised one. So Bartimaeus sees who Jesus is. But here's another part of this I don't want you to miss in, in putting our you know, believing that Jesus can change our situation, Bartimaeus sees his own need for Jesus. He comes to the realization, I'm destitute. I need Jesus in my life. He knows, church, Bartimaeus knows he's sidelined. Bartimaeus knows he's not living the life that God has called him to live. He, he's living this ordinary existence. He's not really living, he's just existing actually. And Bartimaeus knows this. And his conscience bothers him about this. And that's why he says, Jesus, have mercy on me. I know I'm not living the way I should be. Jesus, son of David, the promised one, the one who can change my situation, have mercy on me. And he recognizes and admits his need for the grace of God. And that's, that's where all this begins. You know, John Stott was a great pastor in Great Britain. Uh, he's a pastor and theologian during the 20th century. And uh, in his biography, he shares about his conversion to Christ. And uh, he talks about the extraordinary change that God brought. God just switched out an or, you know, his ordinary life with an extraordinary one. And, uh, and this is what he says. This, was, this is what John Stott says. He says, and this was at the moment of his conversion. He says, I was defeated. I knew the kind of person I was and the kind I longed to be. Between the reality and the ideal, there was a great gulf. And what brought me to Christ was the sense of defeat and the astonishing news that the historic Christ offered to meet the very needs of which I was most conscious. See, he was aware of a couple of things, where he was and where he should be. He was also aware of his limitation of the chasm that existed between those two things. And uh, it's, this, it's this spot where we recognize who Jesus is. We see him for who he is and we see ourselves for who we really are, people in need of God's grace. That's when we're primed to put our hope in Jesus for a real change. And that's what he does. And uh, Bartimaeus has his hope 
firmly in Jesus to change his situation. Have you noticed today, in the time that we're living in today, have you noticed the, the epidemic of hopelessness that is our society? Have you guys noticed that? I mean, we have more technology, we have more money, we have more education, we have more resources than we've ever had in the history of the world, and yet hopelessness reigns in the lives of so many people. The reason why is because people put their hope in the wrong thing. They put their hope in money or in stuff. Well, what happens when the economy goes south? You know, people put their hope in their spouse. They want their spouse to be all everything. They want their spouse to save them from an ordinary life. And with expectations that high, there's just nowhere to go but down. They put their hope in their own ability, their own ability to achieve or to accomplish. And, and, and all of that leads, church, it just leads to a dead-end road. It just, it just leads to a brick wall. Because there's, the truth is this, there's only one source who will never disappoint you. There's only one source who will always be with you, who will never let you down, who will always be faithful to you. There's one person who loves you like no other. And his name is Jesus. And Bartimaeus sees that and he puts his hope in Jesus because he believes Jesus can change that situation. Let me show you 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 4 through 5. Peter writes about this great hope, and I want you to show, I want to show you where it comes from. This is 1 Peter 1, 4. Peter writes this, according to his great mercy. You remember Bartimaeus calling out for mercy? Remember that? Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Well, notice this, according to his great mercy, he's caused us to be born again into a living hope. Exactly. So mercy leads to hope. The grace of God leads to hope in Jesus. That's exactly what he's saying. And he talks about through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance, to something that God has waiting for us in the future that will never perish, be, you know, perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for us, he says. So if you're going to leverage your limitation, it starts with believing Jesus can change that very situation. Number two, if you're going to leverage it, you're going to have to guard against negative voices. Let me show you this. This is verses 47 and 48. This is, this is so interesting to me. I, I don't know why. This is just so real, real and raw. 47 and 48. So, so when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out to Jesus. And he said, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And notice the reaction of the crowd. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. So here he is, a blind man in need. He's calling out to Jesus. And the response of the crowd is their disapproval. They don't approve of him calling out to Jesus. They don't want him interacting with Jesus. They don't want their, his life changed by Jesus. And what they do is they tell him to sit down and shut up. They tell him to be quiet. They, they, they chorus him with a round of negative voices in his ears, reverberating into his heart. And I would bet, I can't prove this, I, I wasn't there, I don't know what they were saying, but I bet what they were saying went something like this, Jesus is too important, who do you think you are? You're just a loser, Bartimaeus. You're just a blind beggar. He doesn't have time for you. He's not interested in you. 
And those were the voices I believe he heard that day. And maybe you don't have people saying that to you, but maybe you're saying it to yourself. Maybe your biggest struggle is how you speak to yourself. And you say things like, well, God could never love me. God's disappointed in me. God could never forgive me. Look at my past. Look at my failures. Look at my weakness. Look at my limitations. He doesn't have time for me. And church, here's what I know. If we're gonna leverage limitations for the glory of God, we have got to guard against those negative voices every day. You have to guard against them. And if you're not saying them, many times the enemy is saying them to you. Do you know uh, the enemy can put thoughts in your mind and heart? Do you know that he just plants a thought in your mind and in your heart? And you have to decide what to do with that thought. You can't just let it sit there. You can't just dwell on it. You can't just receive it. You've, you've got to guard your heart and your mind against the negative voices of the enemy. I mean, the truth is this. The reality of this is every single day we find ourselves in a cosmic battle, good against evil, Satan against God. Now, it's, it, it's not, it's, I mean, you, gotta get, you have to understand this. God is so powerful. God is not... He's not threatened by the enemy, all right? It's just that the enemy has declared war on God and you and I are his targets. And his strategy is he's gonna come after us and destroy us because he knows that's what's going to hurt the heart of the Father and that's his goal. And so you and I wake up every single day in a cosmic battle. And Jesus tells us that Satan, that his character is he's a thief, he's a liar, and he's an accuser. That's what he does. And if you want to hear, if you want to recognize the voice of the enemy, I can tell you how to do it in three ways, every time. The, voices, the voice of the enemy are voices of condemnation, voices of accusation, and voices of devaluation. God never speaks those kind of words to his children. You know why? Because he loves his children. He loves his children. So when you hear thoughts you have these thoughts of condemnation and accusation and devaluation, church, every time. That's the voice of the enemy. And you have to guard against it. You got to say, here's what, here's, what, here's what I do when I get assaulted by the enemy in this way. I, I say, thought, where did you come from? Like, identify yourself, thought. And, and then, I, and then I, I go to the scripture and I, I compare the thought to what the word of God says. And I ask the question, what does the word of God say about me? Because I'm gonna base my identity on the word, not the world. I'm gonna base my identity on the word and not the voice of the enemy. And so the word says I'm a child of God. The word says I'm chosen of God. The word says I'm loved by God. The, the word says I'm an heir of God and a co-heir with Jesus Christ. The word says I'm a son and daughter of God. The, the word says, well, not a daughter, but I am a son. Um, and, and the word says I'm a king's kid. So accusation condemnation, devaluation, nope. Sorry, you're not welcome here. Some of you need to get busy on that. And that's exactly what Bartimaeus does. He, he ignores, he guards these voices 
out. It, it's fascinating to me, the crowd disapproves of him coming to Jesus. Whose disapproval do you fear in your life? Who is it that uh, you would be most afraid to be rejected by? Whoever that is, can I tell you the truth? That's your God. That's your God. That's an idol. And the Bible says, God says, don't put any idols in front of me. God says, I'm your God. I'm your Lord. Put me first. See, one reason why so many of you are stuck on the side of the road is you're afraid if you go all in. You're afraid of what other people are going to say to you. And that's what's keeping you sidelined and stuck. And the Bible has numerous warnings about this. Proverbs 29, 25. The writer of Proverbs says this, the fear of man lays a snare. You know what a snare is? It's a trap. You're trapped on the side of the road because of the fear of what other people think. But whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. Safety comes by fearing what, what God thinks, right? Reverencing, being in awe of what God thinks and what God says. Safety comes by putting our trust in him. That's when we're the most safe. You'll never be safe on the side of the road. Now, I love Bartimaeus because you see his heart here in verse 38. They're, they're cursing him. They're yelling at him. They're disapproving of him. But I love what Mark tells us. But he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. He, he couldn't care less about what the crowd says because he put his hope in Jesus to change his situation. He was guarding those negative voices. Uh, and then number three, we got to listen to God's call. If we're going to leverage those limitations in our life, whatever they might be, we have to listen for God's call. And uh, you need to hear the voice of God in your life. You were made, you were designed by God for him to speak to you and for you to speak and respond to him. And if you're going to do that, church, you've, you've got to slow down. You got to slow the pace so you can hear his voice speaking to you. Let me show this to you in verse 49. So he's calling out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Verse 49, Jesus stopped and said, call him. And, and they called the blind man saying to him, take heart, man, get up. He's calling you. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and he came to Jesus. I bet he ran the 40-yard dash in 4.2 seconds there. I, that's what I think, which would be a world record for a blind man. I, that's what, exactly what I'm thinking. But he comes to Jesus. Now the, now, the thing is I want you to see is if he's so busy calling all the time and he's never listening, he would have never heard the call. He would have never gone to Jesus. And some of us are so busy just yelling at God, calling out to God, we're not really listening. We don't have a heart posture to listen to what God has for us. So the only way you and I can hear God's call is that we, we take the time to be quiet. We take the time to spend time alone with God in his word, in praying, you know, in prayer and in, in solitude. That's how we listen for the call of God. By the way, do you know what the call of God is? It's the word of God. That's what it is. Jesus called him. Jesus spoke to him. The call of God is the word of God. 
And uh, a lot of us think that, the, you know, the call of God is somebody being called to be a missionary in Afghanistan, you know, or uh, being a pastor. And, and certainly there are calls to that. But the truth is this, everybody's call to know and love Jesus. You are called to know and love Jesus. And that's, that's the call of God. So the only question is, are you going to answer the call? That's really the only question. So, so think about it this way. So how do you get to know somebody? So if you're called by God to know him, to be in relationship with him and to love him, then how do you get to know him? How do you, how do you really start loving him? Well, well, you do that by spending time with them. And part of your spending time with them, when you're with someone, you know, you get to know them, you're talking with them, you find out what they like, what they don't like, you find out their interests, their dreams, their passions, their, their heart. And, and so the more time you spend with someone, the more you get to know them and the more you love them. That's, that's how I, you know, started dating Luann and that's, that's how our love uh, for each other has grown throughout the years. We, we spend time together. Now, let me, let me carry it another step further because think about this. You know, when you think about it, in your time together, you use words. Like language is the oxygen for getting to know someone. Because if you didn't have language, if you didn't have words, it would be really hard to get to know someone. So words are key to any relationship. Think about it this way. Your communication leads to communion. And I'm not talking about just kind of the Lord's Supper. I'm talking about communication. Words lead to closeness. Words, communication leads to communion, which is the sharing of thoughts, sharing of words, sharing the feelings between people. And so our relationship with God is the same way. We come to him using our words, which is prayer, and then, and then we're silent before God and we open up his word to us. That's communication, and that communication leads to communion. So prayer and scripture come together, and they form this communion with God, and we need that time every day. We need it every single day because it's in that communion. When I think about the limitation that I'm dealing with right now, I need to know and I need to be reminded that God's power is bigger than my limitation. I need to be reminded of that. I need to, I, I need to re be reminded that he loves me in the midst of the limitation that I'm navigating right now. He loves me. You know, my uh, father-in-law, Woody Church, was on staff here. Many, many of you remember Woody. Uh, he he uh, died four years ago, and, and uh, he, was, he was truly remarkable because he got this. I mean, he really, really understood this. He he was our pastor of pastoral care and counseling. So his passion was helping and counseling people. He loved just listening and encouraging and helping people solve problems. And so people just flocked to him. And, uh, but his body was absolutely broken with diabetes. And then the last couple of years of his life, he was on dialysis. And you want to talk about limiting factors, okay? Those things, those things were huge limitations for him. And, uh, but they never got him down. Yeah, that, was the, that was what was amazing to me. I mean, he would come into the office and, and most of the time he's not feeling well. You know, his kidneys don't work. You know, his pancreas doesn't work, right? None of this stuff works and he doesn't feel well, but you would never know it because he was so full of the joy of the Lord. What he did is he understood how to leverage those limitations 
for the glory of God. And I'd ask him, how are you doing? He's like, Scott, I'm doing great. I'm just so thankful that God can use me today. I'm so thankful that God could use me today. I mean, he didn't even, he didn't even think about those limitations holding him back. He just, his focus was on God. And, and, you know, when we did his funeral, it was the largest crowd at a service at this church that I've seen in 26 years. We live streamed it all over the world because God used him to encourage so many people. And it's not because he's great, but, I, I, but what I'm telling you is this, God is great. And God can work through whatever limitation you have. But you need, you need to hear his voice. You need to spend time alone with him. And that's where Woody found his strength. And that's where you and I are gonna find it as well. So you need to listen to God's call. Number four, if you're gonna leverage those limitations, you need to tell God what you want. You need to tell God what you want. And uh, you need to be honest with it. And we see this in verse 51. Jesus said to him, what do you want me to do for you? And uh, the blind man said to him, Rabbi, I want to recover my sight. I mean, it's not real complicated. I just want to be able to see, he said. Now, I've always wondered, maybe you've wondered this, but why did, why did Jesus ask that question? I mean, Jesus is the son of God. Jesus knows he's blind. Isn't it rather obvious what he wants? So why does, why does God, why does Jesus ask him this question? Well, here's the thing that I know. Whenever God asks us a question, it's not for God's benefit. It's for ours. That's what I think Jesus is doing here. I think Jesus knows, obviously. But he asked him to give him an opportunity to express and articulate his faith and to do it in public. He wants us to step out in faith. He wants us to go out on the limb because as they, as they say, that's where the fruit is. And he's giving him a chance to articulate your faith and he expresses it in public with clarity. And I think the principle is this, a secret faith church is a shallow faith. A secret faith is a shallow faith. And so you need to let that faith come out. You need to let the world know about your faith. The Bible says it like this, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. I'm redeemed. And I want the whole world to know about this. And so I think Jesus asked them because it was an expression of faith. His faith is growing stronger. I think when we move out of the shadows with our limitations and we bring it into the light of God's word and God's people, that's when God's able to work. That's when God is glorified. And then you see what Jesus does here. Uh, verse 52, Jesus said to him, well, go your way. Your faith has made you well. Jesus completely restored his sight. Jesus completely uh, took away his limitation and healed him of his blindness. Here's what I don't want you to miss about this. This was Bartimaeus's greatest blessing in his life, not the healing, the limitation. Think about it. Bartimaeus's blindness that pinned him down in poverty on the side of the road for so long was his greatest blessing. You know why? Because it drove him to Jesus. It, it really did. 
It changed his life from ordinary to extraordinary, from the old way to, the, to a whole new life. And it, it was his greatest blessing because it's, it's my thought that if he is not blind, he never comes to Jesus. And so, and so what this tells us is this, that limitations and, and liabilities that we have to manage and adversities, God uses them for good. In other words, God uses our limitations for our good and for his glory. And that's exactly what is happening here. And uh, I love how the Apostle Paul says it. He, he talks about it in 2 Corinthians. I, I don't have the verse to show it to you, but, but this is what he says. He says, we always carry in our bodies the death of Jesus. And that to me is talking about troubles and persecutions and hardships and limitations. We carry in our bodies those limitations, the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may be manifested in us. And that's exactly what God wants to do is manifest his glory even in the midst of our limitations. Lastly, if we're gonna leverage those limitations for the glory of God, we need to follow Jesus on his road. Not our road, on his. Let me show it to you, verse 52. Immediately he recovered his sight and Bartimaeus followed him on the way. Here's the miracle. Here's the transformation. God moves, Jesus moves Bartimaeus from the side of the road as a beggar to on the road now as a disciple. That's the transformation from ordinary to extraordinary, from his old life to new life. He is now a disciple of Jesus. Church, faith that, that doesn't lead to discipleship is not saving faith. I don't know what it is, but it's not saving faith. And so what we see is that Bartimaeus is a follower of Jesus. By the way, it says he you know, followed him on the way. What was the way? Well, it was the Jericho road, the road from Jericho up to Jerusalem. Bartimaeus follows Jesus to Jerusalem. The, the Jericho road leads right to where? It leads to the cross. And Bartimaeus followed him all the way to the cross. And that's where he's calling you. And that's where he's calling me to follow him every day. Now, I, I have to answer this. I've got one minute to answer this. All right, so here I go. Some of you are like, okay, Scott, I get it. I get it. But what about the times when, you know, God doesn't heal. You know, what about the times, you know, when God doesn't remove the limitation? I mean, this was an example where Jesus actually healed him and restored his eyesight and took away the limitation. Well, what about the times when he doesn't choose to do that? That's a great question. And here's my answer. You know, when, when we're praying and we're asking God for something, we're telling him what we want. He can answer that. He answers all of those, but he answers them in three ways. One way that he answers those is he says yes. And those are the most fun <laughs> for obvious reasons. And that's why Bartimaeus is ecstatic here, I'm sure. So, so it's really fun when God says yes, and he gives you so many yeses. Let me, let me tell you about that. So, but he really does. He, he, gives you, he gives you yeses. Other times God will say wait. And I think these are the hardest, that's the hardest answer to get is wait. And with the limitation that I, I'm navigating, I gotta wait. 
and I'm kind of digging in for the long term. So that's okay. There's grace even for that. But sometimes God says no. And if he says no to what you're asking about removing your limitation, it means this, he has a better plan. He's got a much better plan. And you have to trust him even with the no. Because in the no, God sees the big picture. He sees the ripple effect. He sees all the causes and effects that you and I can't see. And he sees how that brings him more glory than if he had said wait or even yes. You see, many times the no brings more glory to him than any yes. I I think about Fanny Crosby. Uh, She's a lady that's written thousands of hymns. Her most famous hymn is a hymn that we we often sing here called uh, Blessed Assurance. And uh, it's one of the most popular hymns in the history of the church. And so, uh, but what many people don't know about Fanny Crosby is she was born blind. She was blind her entire life. And, uh, and so somebody once asked her, you know, why hasn't God healed you? You know, if God was really good and really loving, he would heal you, right? Why hasn't God healed you? And her response was always the same. This is what she said. She said, God could have done nothing better to me than to give me blindness. That's what she said. Because by my blindness, he has shut me in with himself and I've learned more about the love of Jesus than if I could see. You know what she's saying there? She's saying God had a better plan and praise God for that better plan. And uh, she goes on to say that the first person she'll ever see will be Jesus when she wakes up in heaven. And so God brings glory even in a no, even in a no that he gives us. And I was thinking about this and I'll close with this. You know, there was another no that Jesus uh, experienced. And this was when he was in the garden and he asked the father to take this cup from me. And the father said no to Jesus. And so it's just interesting to me that even Jesus understands what it's like to get a no. Because the father said no to him. He wasn't gonna take the cup away. Why didn't he take the cup away? Because God had a better plan. And we're all a part of that plan. And praise God, he didn't take the cup away. Because if he did take the cup away, we'd be in big trouble. You see, the father loved us so much that he said no to his son. Jesus loved us so much, he said yes to the father and to the father's will for his life so that you and I may have eternal life, so that you and I can glorify God even in our temporary limitations. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we we give you glory. We give you honor. We give you praise. We exalt your name. Your ways are not our ways. Your thoughts are not our thoughts.
because your ways are higher than our ways. Your thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And so, God, I pray for your grace. I, I pray for the working of your spirit in this place. God, you know the limitations, the liabilities. You, you know the adversities that, that we're all facing. You know the burdens. But I thank you that in the power of the spirit, through your grace and mercy, you can lift us above those limitations. You can move us off the side of the road and you can get us on the path of following you for our good and for your glory. So I ask that you would just give us faith today, God. Give us a soft heart to trust in you. We ask for your forgiveness where we haven't always trusted you. We, we've allowed ourselves to be pinned down and compromised and sidelined. Lord, we confess our need for you. We need your mercy. Would you just give it in abundance today? You are an amazing God. You are a loving God. We look forward to the day when there'll be no more limitations. There'll be no more adversities. There'll be no more liabilities. We long for that day. But even that is a gift of your grace. So may we drink it in today. We pray all this in Jesus' name. God's people said.